Now, in my opinion, the scariest stories are the ones that don't have any room for jokes or laughter. Live from Liverpool, The Dark Paranormal with Kevin Eustace. Hello, and welcome once more to The Dark Paranormal. Summer is rapidly losing its light, and we're heading to the bleaker time of the year. The time of year would see us think less about barbecues and sunscreen, and more about pumpkins and bonfires. I've always noticed the darkness seems to come in rapidly of an evening around this time. And before you know it, it's dark when you go into work, and it's dark when you leave. It's strongly becoming its own season within a season. And in this new season, the interest in the paranormal increases on almost a global scale. It's no coincidence that the darkness seems to trigger something deep inside us. It hacks away at our modern sceptical rationality and makes even the most ardent sceptic take pause and say... Things like, I'm sure I turn that light out. Or, maybe I'll leave the whole light on tonight. If you're listening to this show, it's a high probability you're of an adult age. The age where your rationality serves you well. You don't have time to consider the other side. Not when there's bills to pay, kids to feed and every other responsibility you carry on your back day in, day out. But children are different. It's no coincidence, as some of our previous true experiences have shown, that children seem to feature in a high percentage of paranormal cases. The innocence of youth, so to speak, allows them to approach things more openly, They haven't been told such things as, oh, those knocks are just the house settling, or that whisper, oh, that's just the wind. Instead, without any preconceived idea of what they're experiencing, they form their own pattern of truth, and in turn, seem to create a pathway to the other side often resulting in the rational adults they live with having no option but to face the uncomfortable, belief-shaking fact that some things can't be explained away. Did you know the blanket explaining away by adults of paranormal experience actually has a term? A jot, J-O-T-T. It stands for just one of those things. A term coined by respected psychical researcher and former vice president of the Society for Psychical Research, Mary Rose Barrington. Now she broke jots into two categories. Jottles, where an item, maybe your car keys, move from the place you left them, only to be found somewhere you don't recall putting them. 
And your response is, oh, I must have just forgot. And secondly, odd jots. One-off miscellaneous happenings with no apparent explanation. Maybe a door opens by itself, just the once, and therefore, as it's the once, you put it down to a rogue breeze. Maybe from an upstairs window. In her research, Barrington points out that we've all had these experiences. But as it's just maybe once or twice, we rationally say, it's just one of those things, and we move on. She notes we should take note and challenge each of these jots. On the basis, they may well be paranormal. And that it shouldn't take a series of events for us to only then assume the paranormal is at play. For example, if you owned a store, you wouldn't wait until the 10th consecutive day of the cash register being down before then concluding you may have a thief. Think about it. The one phrase you'll never hear from a child is, it's just one of those things. And that's because children are primal. They're visceral. They're the walking equivalent of fight or flight. And this safety mechanism, this warning alarm, it's still within you as an adult. And it raises by a few degrees in this new season. So, as always on this show, I'm going to ask you to do something. Firstly, and most importantly, suspend your disbelief. For the rest of the episode, take off that backpack of adult responsibility and know, just know, that there are things that you with your adult rationality and busy life and bills, just can't explain. Secondly, next time, and it will happen soon, probably today, next time you hear a noise or misplace an item or see something in the corner of your eye, don't rationalise it. Don't put it down to just one of those things. Stop, be quiet, take a breath, and maybe just for 60 seconds, consider that it's a paranormal event. Sounds strange, bit weird to do maybe, but I guarantee you, you'll feel something. Just a sliver, but you'll feel something. If then you have to tell yourself, it's just one of those things, then I don't blame you at all. As John Lennon sung, whatever gets you through the night. Now the following account, this true personal experience, comes in from T.I. And it's to do with her very haunted childhood.
Evening came early in the late autumn in Chicago, where I grew up. As the days grew shorter, darkness sometimes fell before supper time. In the house where I spent my childhood, darkness often seemed to loom even more foreboding than in other places in the world. For everyone who lived there knew all too well that lurking behind doorways, around corners, or deep in the shadows, frightening things waited and watched. My brothers, sisters and I had an unspoken pact with one another that we would never leave the other alone at any time in the house. Of course, this rule did not apply if you and the sibling on whom you depended for company had experienced some kind of falling out. Such was the case with Annie and me on one late autumn evening. After supper, when I was growing up, all the children would work together to clean up the kitchen and do the supper dishes. My mother assigned each of us a specific kitchen chore, assignments that rotated weekly. The hands-down favourite chore for each of us was clearing the table. When you got to clear the table, it meant that you also got out of the kitchen first. Each evening, my family would gather in the front room to watch a few TV shows before bedtime. If you managed to finish your kitchen chore first, it meant that you would also have first pick for a prime position to watch our favourite after-dinner TV shows. For that reason, the least favourite chores consisted of those that kept you in the kitchen after everyone else had completed their tasks and had already found a good spot in the front room. This meant that you probably had to sit on the floor and maybe even miss the first part of the programme. Worse than sitting on the floor, however, it also meant that you might find yourself alone, or nearly alone, in the kitchen. Sweeping the kitchen floor and putting away the dishes after someone else had washed and yet another had dried them always meant that you would be the last one in the kitchen. My mother tended to the task of putting away leftovers, if we had any, so she would often remain in the kitchen with the unlucky kids left to complete the kitchen cleanup. However, if no leftovers remained, which happened more often than not, my mother would leave the rest of the work to her children and join my father sitting close together on the couch. Located in the back of the house, the kitchen felt isolated and creepy. It was two full rooms away from the front room where the rest of the family had gathered. One Sunday evening, when no leftovers needed storing, my mother, father and all but Annie and I settled down in the front room to watch our favourite TV show, Lassie. On this particularly unfortunate night, it was my job to put the dishes away. I frantically climbed up and down a tall kitchen chair that I had pushed up to the cupboard. I worked as quickly as humanly possible, making sure I did not drop a single dish, glass or pan. 
My younger sister, Annie, wore an angry expression as she furiously swept the kitchen floor. I don't recall what transgression caused the rift, but we weren't speaking to each other. When everyone else had finished their chores, only she and I remained, and the race was on. The last one out of the kitchen had to turn off the lights. Feeling discouraged as I considered the several large cooking pots and pans I still needed to put away, I saw Annie grab the dustpan just as I heard the Lassie theme music begin to play on the old black and white TV. Everyone else sat in the front room, the full length of the house away from me. Wait for me, I begged to no avail. Come on, I pleaded. I still have all these pots and pans to put away. Wait just a minute for me, please. I'm almost done. Without a word, my sister shot me a heartless glance and dumped the contents of the dustpan into the trash. After quickly stashing the broom by the back of the door and, without even looking back at me, Annie ran towards the front room. My heart sank as I stood on the chair, watching her speed through the darkened dining room toward the safety of Lassie and my family. I frowned at the remaining dishes on the counter, then, overwhelmed with self-pity, forced myself to hurry up even faster. I reached up, stretching to put a large bowl in its spot on an upper shelf in the kitchen cupboard. All at once, I froze in place. As I began to feel that all-too-familiar, terrifying chill invade the kitchen. Let's have a quick break to talk to you about Policy Genius. Now, we all like to put off life insurance talk because it reminds us of our mortality. But life insurance isn't about death, it's about life. It's about ensuring the lives of those you love remain secure and comfortable. And I'm sure many of you will think, well, I'm covered through work or I'm covered through my bank account. But believe me, you want to check those finer details because you may be surprised what you're actually covered for. And this is exactly where Policy Genius come into their own. Yes, we could talk about how Policy Genius is America's leading online insurance marketplace or how their award-winning agents will walk you step by step through the entire process. But the best thing about Policy Genius for me is they don't have a dog in the fight. They're not going to strong arm you towards one company or another. They've no incentive to do so. Their only incentive is to listen to your needs, scour America's top companies, and find you the best price. For example, with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that begin at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options even offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. There's a reason why Policy Genius has thousands of five star reviews on Google and Trustpilot, and you'll find out what it is when you tick life insurance off your to do list with Policy Genius. So head over to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com. Every hair on my body stood on end, as if charged with static electricity. I shook it off and quickly climbed down, turning to the remaining dishes. Bravely, I pushed the growing terror back as I laboriously climbed back onto that kitchen chair to put away the last of the dishes. I tried to soothe myself under my breath. It's okay. 
you're just panicking because nobody else is in here. You're almost done. It's okay. It's okay. Just keep going and get out of here. Then suddenly, without warning, everything went black as every light in the house went out. I stood there all alone in the pitch dark on a chair, unable to see a single thing. Knowing my back was exposed to that terrifyingly charged room, I dared not move a muscle, nor did I hardly even breathe. I listened for the familiar sounds of kerfuffle from my family that normally occurred in surprising moments such as lights suddenly going out. But I could only hear the sound of Lassie continuing to play on the TV. I felt as if I was completely alone in the whole wide world and horrifyingly vulnerable. I blinked and squinted, trying to force my eyes to adjust to the pitch blackness. Then I began to feel dank, foul-smelling frigid air on my cheek and in my ear. I prayed it would not speak to me. I did not want to hear the sound of it. I could feel its long, penetrating exhale increase as it moved closer and closer. I strongly sensed the power of whomever or whatever, far too close, invading my space. Mercifully, the breathing subsided. But then, to my great horror, I felt long, icy fingers touching me from behind. The fingers began at my heels, then slowly, terribly slowly, they moved up the back of my legs. I shuddered and tears welled up in my panicked eyes. I tried desperately to keep absolutely still as the otherworldly fingers reached my bottom, then moved up my back. They lingered on my neck and then reached the back of my head. I felt my hair lift up as that thing pulled any living warmth from my body. When it reached the top of my head, it began to move down over my forehead towards my eyes and mouth. I could wait no longer. Mommy, I called out in a hoarse, trembling whisper. I took a deep breath, then, mustering every ounce of courage, I found my full voice and shouted, Mummy! The icy fingers instantly stopped, as if the sound of my tiny voice had somehow broken its spell. Then, from the front room, I heard my mother call back to me. It's okay, darling. Hurry up and come in here. Just follow the light. The TV's still on. Needing no more encouragement, I leapt from that chair, flying like a fury through the dark kitchen and dining room. I never slowed down, even as I crashed my hip into an out-of-place dining room chair. 
Reaching the front room, I saw my entire family huddled tightly together, half on top of one another on the couch, facing the inexplicably still-playing TV set. I leapt directly into my mother's lap, jostling the baby who began to fuss. Then I squeezed in between my parents. Any sense of safety and relief quickly passed as we all noticed through the front windows that the lights in all the other houses on the block remained on. This blackout had only affected our house. Why did the lights go out? My brother asked. It's, it's just old wiring, I suppose. My mother cautiously replied. M maybe a fuse blew. There's a bunch of stuff plugged into that outlet. She glanced over at my father, who sat nervously scanning the darkened rooms. His knee bounced up and down furiously as he began to tremble with increasing anxiety. Jesus Christ, he said shakily. Guess I'd better go down to the basement and check the fuse box. Turning to my mother, he asked, Do you know where I can find the damn flashlight? In the dining room, top drawer in the credenza, she replied, indicating the large ornate cabinet that came with the house. My father did not look relieved in the slightest. Jesus Christ, he muttered again. My brothers and sisters and I exchanged worried glances of disbelief and horror at the thought of our father making his way alone through the pitch darkness, armed only with a flashlight, to the most terrifying place in the house, to us, perhaps, the world, the basement. I watched him, still shaking, rise from the couch and gingerly make his way towards the dining room to look for the ever-elusive flashlight. No one spoke. None of us took his or her eyes off him. I watched as my father fumbled in the deep, cluttered drawer, muttering cuss words loudly as he aggressively tossed things aside. Finding the flashlight at last, he shook it and pushed the switch. A dim beam of light emerged from the bulb. Cursing again, he turned it off and shook it, smacking it hard on its back end. Again, he pushed the on switch. This time, the light seemed a tad brighter. Jesus Christ, God in heaven, Jesus, Mary and Joseph and all the saints, he muttered. With extremely slow and deliberate steps, my father inched towards the basement door in the hallway located under the stairs and out of our direct view. We all held our breath, staring at the doorway beyond which he just disappeared. Just as Lassie ran for help to rescue little Timmy, oblivious to the terror we now experienced. I secretly wished that we had a Lassie dog, one who could go and bravely protect my father in the basement, 
I thought that Lassie would bark at anything that tried to touch me with icy fingers. And how she would never have left me alone in the kitchen to begin with. I glared at Annie, who had abandoned me in the kitchen to face the darkness all alone. Then I looked back toward the arched doorway between the dining room and the hall where the weak flashlight beam blinked as my father searched for the basement door handle. We listened for the sound of the basement door. I heard the click of the ancient latch, then the slow, rising pitched squeak as he slowly pulled the dreaded door open. All of a sudden, just as quickly as they went out, every light in the house came back on. I heard the basement door slam shut and watched my father, in a dead run, toss the flashlight on top of the credenza and fly back into the front room. He plopped down into his place on the couch, visibly shaking, his forehead glistening with beads of sweat, even though our drafty old house admitted cold autumn air through every crack. My very practical and scientifically-minded younger sister, who took pride in looking at all things critically, pointed to the lamp next to the TV. How come that light went out? But the TV stayed on, she implored. Aren't they both plugged into the same outlet? Therefore, aren't they on the same fuse? Besides, I don't think TV tubes could actually keep the TV going for that long without an electrical source. My parents glanced at each other before my mother said, it must be old wiring. My father muttered, Jesus Christ. I'd like to thank T.I. for her submission. T.I. has decided to release a memoir of her haunted childhood called Beyond Brick and Bone. She also hosts a ghost story show Ghost Stories with Spooky Miss T.I. Be sure to check both of them out. All stories on the dark paranormal are true listener-submitted experiences. If you yourself have an experience that you'd like to share with our listeners, email contact at talkaboutghosts.com I'd like to leave you with a personal jot or just one of those things that my brother-in-law encountered. My brother-in-law lived with me and my sister and my father in my father's house just before the birth of their first child. He, at the time, was a dustman or a bin man, as we say in the UK. And he was a burly bloke. He liked the nail. He didn't have time for the paranormal or anything associated with it. One afternoon, whilst he was making the bed up in the back room of the house, he came frantically knocking on my bedroom door. 
When I opened the door, he was laughing and holding his chest. And he said to me, put your hand here. And I did. And his heart was racing. I said, what's gone on? He said, come and look at this. So I followed him to his bedroom. And there on the bed, the sheets that were on top of the bed had been pulled diagonally across. As if someone had laid the bed out waiting for someone to get in it. Not too sure what I was meant to be looking at. I kind of asked him, well, what, what, what's scary about this? He said he just tucked the entire duvet around the bed and had turned round to get the pillows to put on top. When he turned back in that split second, something or someone had pulled the duvet from one corner to the other corner. And that moment, he panicked, ran and got me. Unsure what he thought I would do about the situation. But interestingly, not much else ever happened in that house. And he, and in truth I, put it down to just one of those things. If you enjoyed this show, why not go and leave us a review? Or... Tell your friends about it wherever you discuss all things paranormal. And thank you for suspending your disbelief and taking part in this show. I'll speak to you next time on The Dark Paranormal.